With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 49th episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also provide worldwide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, PodToppin, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel site so you will be notified just as soon as each new show is available. I sincerely appreciate all of you worldwide who tune in. And, you know, I've often said this, but I'm going to say it again. I love seeing all the countries and cities on my listeners report. In this past week, I had a large number of new listeners, over 1,000, tuning in from Longji, China. And I also had many new listeners from New Zealand and close to 1,000 from Dublin, Ireland. Now, in the U.S., my top three cities were from um, Richardson, Texas. Now, that's in the Dallas area, for those of you who may not be familiar with that. Over 2,000 new listeners there and over 1,000 each in Newark, New Jersey and San Francisco, California. In fact, San Francisco has been in the top three of my U.S. cities of listeners for most of my shows. So thank you, San Francisco, plus many other places on the map. There are over 60 countries now represented for my listeners. So thank you to all of you. These numbers reflect listeners from the show website, and it's based on the general location that is determined through a portion of the IP addresses of those visiting the site. Now, I haven't taken the time to find out how many listeners come from all those apps that I list, uh, that I mentioned earlier, but you know, Perhaps I'll get that figured out here in 2019. So welcome and thanks so much to all of you for tuning in. If you are interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my show, please also get in touch. And certainly, if you need help with information security or privacy, just let me know and keep all your feedback and questions coming in. I love getting them all. My January Privacy Professor Tips message was published on December 28th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, sign up for them. I've always provided them for free since 2007. And I do this in an effort to increase 
general awareness of information security and privacy issues. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. So now to my tip for the week. This month, January, is when Data Privacy Day takes place on January 28th. So I have two tips for you today. First, something I encourage all of you with any type of computing device that you use to go online should do. Now, get onto that device and look at how many apps that you've downloaded to your device. Or you might have apps on there that were downloaded without your knowledge. Look at those apps. Those unused apps could very well be sucking up the data from your device and sending all your data, some of your data, some sensitive data, and perhaps the data of others that you have on your device to who knows how many other third parties. And they might be using that data for a very wide range of activities that you would not want your data to be used within. Completely uninstall all the apps you've not used in the past month or two. The fewer apps you have on your device, the less of your personal data that will be shared with others. For my second tip, take some time to help those who may not be as tech savvy as you. Now, this would be a good thing to do on Data Privacy Day on January 28th. Sit with them or FaceTime, Skype or whatever with them and help them to remove all their unused apps, to create stronger passwords, to turn on two-factor authentication and so on. By helping your friends and family members, not only will you help them to improve their data security and privacy, but if you communicate with them, you will also be improving your security and privacy as well as an effect of your helping them. So on to our topic for today. Throughout 2018, I highlighted in 10 of the 12 months of my Privacy Professor Monthly Tips publications, a privacy hero that was nominated by readers. Then last month in December, I asked readers and listeners of this show and my social media followers to take a short one-question survey to choose which of the 10 privacy heroes of 2018 they appreciated the most found most helpful, and so on. The privacy heroes were privacy lawmakers, professors, encryption pioneers, awareness leaders, GDPR experts, privacy researchers, and others. Today, I'm excited to have the 2018 Privacy Hero of the Year as my guest, chosen by the most votes through that survey, Tara Tobin Bassarian. Tara spent a large amount of time during 2018 helping organizations and individuals to better understand the EU General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, that went into effect on May 25, 2018. Tara is a French lawyer based in the UK with expertise in areas of privacy, data protection, 
intellectual property, and e-commerce. Tara has made a name for herself in several areas of the world, most notably the UK, France, and the US. Tara is very active in raising awareness of the EU GDPR and advising businesses on the compliance requirements. Tara is a member of ICANN's NCUC and is a volunteer mediator for Surrey Mediation, where she extends community mediation to copyright conflict resolution. Tara also co-founded the Facebook group Fly a Kite with Me. Now, this group is dedicated to eradicating cyberbullying and improving online security that something really near and dear to both of us. See more about Tara on my Voice America website page that describes today's topic. Tara, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you very much for having me and organizing these elections, which was a great thing for me. And I hope it will raise more uh, awareness on privacy and data protection. Yes, well, thank you, and congratulations so much. It's very apparent uh, from all the votes that you got that everyone appreciates all of your efforts, and I know when I was looking online throughout last year, you were um, seemingly on all the time just giving some great advice and pointing out some important facts about many different privacy issues, but certainly GDPR and I'm wondering, I know our listeners worldwide will wonder too, you know, what was the path that led you to being a privacy lawyer? Well, um, I started my career as a corporate lawyer in France until I moved uh, to UK after a short stay in Germany. In UK, I had my kids that were young and often online. So I get involved in child online safety. And this is where, it was in early 2000, I eventually decided to go back to uni and I did a master's on communication internet law. It became a great passion. Mm-hmm. Um, I then became increasingly c- convinced of the importance of privacy and data protection awareness. Um, this is also when I launched the Flyguide initiative with your support. That was for... Um, helping people around children to be more aware of what was going online. And at the same time, after my master's, I get involved with the Open Rights Group in London. Mm-hmm. The Open Rights Group is an initiative to help online rights and digital rights. And for them, I looked at the reform of the Data Protection Directive. So I could say that I've been involved with the GDPR even though before it was born. Yes. (laughs) It's quite funny when I read the bio of some of the GDPR experts who actually started after the May 25th. Mm -hmm. I've been there for for some long time as as yourself. We've, We've been kind of the pioneer of privacy and data protection. Well, yeah, I mean, really, the GDPR took over or replaced, if you will, the EU Data Protection Directive or Directive 9546 EC. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, you've been 
involved with that for a very long time. So why don't we get into talking about GDPR a little bit and what do you see in the GDPR um, that has improvements over the previous EU data protection directive or Directive 9546 EC? Well, GDPR, despite what many thinks, is not a revolution. It's an evolution from what was existing with the directive. It, the GDPR was the project of the Commissioner Vivian Redding. And the aim was to create more harmonization within all EU countries. So the difference between a directive and a regulation, maybe your listeners are not familiar with that, a directive expects a national law to apply into the country, while a directive is automatically applicable in all EU countries. So therefore, instead of having the directive and each country applying the law, the directive being directly applicable, the hope was there would be more harmonization and all EU country would be saying the same word and applying the regulation the same way. Mm-hmm. What is quite different with the GDPR towards what it was with the directive is that GDPR is based on the principle of accountability. So you don't need to wait to be proved that you did something wrong. You actually have to do some homework to prove and keep record of what you're doing to show that you've done the right things. It's a bit of a homework. You organization need to keep some track. There are some registers to keep so that whenever they are investigated and the power of investigation of the data protection authorities have increased, so every company could say, this is why I'm processing this data, this is the way I do it, and this is, if you have a constant, you need to have a special register for the constant. So it, it needs a little bit more of paperwork and accountability to show what you're doing. So do you feel that as a result of having to show more of what you're doing and validate and be more accountable, do you see that privacy protections will then be better protected instead of having the directive that was prior to the GDPR? Um, Yes. I, I think the accountability obliged organization to think more about what they're doing Mm-hmm. They also have to offer, accountability is one aspect, they also have to offer more transparency so that data subject, the subject is whoever data is being used or processed for a more technical term. They will have to know at the time that the data is collected, what is being done with this data. So the privacy notice should be provided to every data subject at the time the data is collected. More control is given. There are more privacy by design. So data processing should be specific to the aim for which the data give his consent. But be careful, consent is not the only uh, ground of processing. But Mm -hmm. to simplify, I will talk about consent first. So if the data subject decided that they don't want, they can withdraw the consent. They know, they should know who is using the data and with whom the data is shared. Before we had less transparency 
and only control, and that was not sufficient. Mm-hmm. In many websites, for example, they were cookie banner. The user only could say yes or no. Eventually, the no would not let the use of the service. What GDPR is saying is there should be information. The user should know what's been done according to the kind of cookies and how long the cookies is on the system. They should be consent given. Uh, So the transparency plus the control makes the privacy more a reality than it was before. And it seems like, too, I'm seeing more in the past year uh, since it went into effect of compliance activities. I mean, what kind of actions have been taken for GDPR compliance to date? Because we really didn't hear a lot about, you know, compliance or fines with the EU Data Protection Directive. But now with the GDPR, it's got some significant fines and penalties that can be brought under it. And it seems like a lot of companies are already pursuing those. Well, exactly, because the fines are much more considerable than before. Uh, there's been a sudden wake-up. What existed before and was ignored is now on the the projector. People are thinking that they might eventually work to look at how to be compliant. It's been great in terms of uh, press that has been talking so much about privacy and data protection that they've never done before. Individuals are far more uh, aware of their rights. Uh, GDPR add class actions, which didn't exist before. So they are now a uh, non-profit organization who can uh, do class action uh, and represent individuals. There is a major one uh, run by Max Schrem uh, from Austria, which is called None of Your Business. <laughs> Previous International, in, yeah, it's a quite a funny name they've chosen, none of your business. He's, he's the guy who was behind invalidating the, um, um, what is now uh, no, Privacy Shield and was the safe harbor, which is the agreement ah. of data uh, exchange between the Europe and the US. Mm-hmm. Um, in England, we've got Privacy International. In France, there is uh, like Quadratube du Net. So there are different organizations who are now much more active in the field of privacy and data protection. Um, in terms of, um, yes, sorry. Well, I'm just going to say, talking about, you know, the activities, when, when I'm reading a lot of the news about actions being pursued under GDPR, we see a lot about CNIL, C-N-I-L. And I think a yes. lot of our listeners might not know what is the relationship, uh, what is CNIL, and what is their relationship to GDPR? Uh, CNIL is what we call mm-hmm. CNIL, which mm-hmm. is the French Data Protection Authority. Every European country would have a supervisory authority or a data protection authority. In England, it's called the UK ICO, UK Information Commission Office. In France, is the CNIL which is a Commission Nationale d'Informatique et Liberté. They have been quite active. Um, there was a lot of noise saying that the president, uh, Isabelle Frank perrotin would be 
leading the European Data Protection Board. It mm-hmm. didn't happen, but the CNIL provided a lot of guidance, both in French and English. They actually had a very good privacy impact assessment tool mm. um, that everyone can use. It's the it's in English. Uh, it's the quite a good material. In terms of uh, enforcement, they have been quite active. Um, people were expecting big fines coming straight after the GDPR entered into application. I have the feeling that data protection authorities have decided to go more slowly because although there were two years before the GDPR entered into application that the organization had this time to become compliant, I think they actually started to wake up at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the data protection authorities have said that they will not fine, not, not give big fines straight away. Um, the CNIL has started very slowly by investigating, sending warnings. If the organization complied, it was okay. If they were not compliant, then they were getting fined. By going slowly, they are kind of building up their jurisprudence. They had a series of cases where they clarified the expectation for consent. That consent should be informed, it should be specific, um, how much transparency was needed. Maybe we're not going behind the big ones who would eventually have big law firms fighting the Data Protection Authority. They went by small steps, which mm-hmm. I think is actually a good thing. Some people criticize. I, I hear a lot of criticism against the UK Information Commissioner because they haven't been finding but Uber has been fined by several data protection authorities, which for a European standard, they are big fines around 400,000 euros. The um, um, Portuguese data protection authority has fined a hospital 400,000 euros. Uber, uh, Uber, I think I've mentioned that. Facebook is under a fine and is still investigated. So it's, it's progressing step mm-hmm. by step. Yeah, you know, it reminds me a lot of here in the U.S., um, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act was enacted in, you know, the mid-1990s, and it didn't go into effect until 2003 and 2005, but it took many years after it went into effect um, before there were actual severe penalties that started to come about and early on it's kind of it re- it's really similar to what you're describing uh the regulatory oversight um agencies wanted to help the organizations to better understand what they were expected to do so they kind of held off on the the big fines until mm-hmm. after you know they had a chance to really better understand what they were supposed to be doing and that's it kind of seems like that's uh, what is going on with the GDPR as well and you know that that's probably a good tactic to take yeah. although like you said there's criticism of that you know that's always going to occur there is, there is always someone who is not happy, and it, nothing is perfect, especially in terms of legislation. It's, it's never perfect, and that is a regulation that applies nearly cross-border, not only in the EU, but whichever mm-hmm. organization 
that process the data from the EU and not only from EU citizens, uh, the regulation applies to them. So it, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't an easy achievement to come into the regulation. It's not perfect, but I'm quite positive. And I think it's, it's quite fair that they will find slowly and progressively. There's a lot of bad habit taken. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of uh, since storage became easy. And I think Google showed the example of storing everything. So a lot of organizations just stored everything, process everything. There is a lot of... Um, data business behind that uh, people were not aware. It's coming out. Transparency is making people aware. And hopefully, progressively, we're only six months after the um, GDPR entered into force. So I'm positive. Well, and, you know, there has been a lot of talk online. I mean, I see that you're posting a lot of great advice and points about GDPR uh, throughout the various social media groups that um, you're participating in. So, you know, it's definitely something that's on people's minds. Do you see any weaknesses or gaps, though, within uh, GDPR, anything that maybe it's not addressing that you wish it was? Um, probably uh, because legislation has trouble to catch up with technology um, and it took some time for the regulation to be voted between all these members and by the time it comes into effect, blockchain has been forgotten. And so far, blockchain is incompatible with the um, GDPR because one of the principles of GDPR is to allow data subjects to ask, to request the delete of their data. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as some people think. There are conditions to delete. It's not, I just want to delete and delete everything you have. But there are cases where legitimately a data subject could request a delete of his data. That is as long as I know technically not possible with blockchain. The other requirement is that the identity of the data controller should be uh, transparent to the data subject. This is another thing that blockchain can't afford. So the French Data Protection Authority has um, produced a guidance with condition for the blockchain to be GDPR compliant. And so far, technically, this condition can't happen. And um, well, that's that's unfortunately how it is. They did not talk about blockchain at the time they discussed the regulation. Yeah, and it's hard to uh, address all types of technology too within regulations. Um, we're coming up right now on our break, Tara. So um, we're going to break right here very quickly so we can hear from my valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. I'm speaking today with Tara Tobman Bassirian, Privacy Lawyer and 2018 Privacy Hero of the Year. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show as well as provide show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com and also through my PrivacyGuidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. 
Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. I'm speaking today with Tara Tobman-Bassirian, Privacy Lawyer and 2018 Privacy Hero of the Year. So before our break, we were discussing GDPR and, you know, some of the, the strengths and weaknesses and gaps. Tara, how about the different countries and locations? Because you made a point earlier about, you know, the need for really most countries to know about and address GDPR. So do you see any specific countries struggling more with GDPR or um, specific ways in which they're struggling with meeting compliance with GDPR? Um, What I see is privacy has a major cultural component. Some Nordic countries, Scandinavian, are very much open and your tax would be uh, online. People openly can talk about how much they earn, while other countries are a bit more shy and they don't want to reveal that much. This is one aspect of privacy and data protection that is very cultural. The other countries that struggle can be the one where there is not the same level of privacy awareness and sensibility. And they're usually countries uh, that do their business based on massive data collection. Mm. 
and they find the shift a bit harder to take. So with regard then to the the many different requirements, and GDPR, as you know, has many different articles requiring some much more specific types of protections than the EU Data Protection Directive did. They get much more descriptive of what needs to be done. Um, Which of those do you think organizations are having more challenges with because before the break we talked about blockchain and how hard it is to really determine who or even if there is a specific data controller for you know the use of blockchain and how it's implemented um do you see any particular articles under gdpr that are harder if you will for organizations to comply with than others um, I briefly mentioned that a lot of talks are around consent, but consent mm-hmm. is one between six other grounds of processing. Um, consent is not always the most appropriate one. And actually, Elizabeth Denham, who is the UK Information Commissioner, said that uh, consent is not um, the silver bullet. Mm-hmm. Um UKICU got an online tool that helps organization to find what is the most appropriate um, ground of processing. There is also legitimate interest. That doesn't mean it's the what is the interest of the organization. They are. I, I listened to one of your previous show where uh, Gabriela uh, Zenfir uh, explained very clearly what are the expectations from legitimate interest. Um, there are some homework to do. But legitimate interest can be easier than consent. There is also the execution of a contract or three others that I'm not going into detail. But what I've seen is a lot of people stay on consent. We've seen a lot of emails sent around the, uh, May 25th of um, consent requests. Mm-hmm. This is a result of a uh, bad advice because whoever sent the email and did not get an answer, a positive answer what they would have to just delete the um, that person's personal data while the companies had a, a transitionary period which they could actually switch from one ground to another so if they have a consent that was not at the level of requirement of the GDPR they could go for legitimate interest this is often what I found was the most um, positive approach. The other, yes, um, is that clear or? No, I was just remembering all of those notices, like you said, um, after May 25th is like, I just got a deluge of emails saying to meet compliance with GDPR, you know, here's what we're doing. And I didn't answer or reply to any of them because Quite frankly, I didn't think it was necessary at that time. And it kind of sounds like you're saying, depending upon how and why they did it, it may not have been necessary. But also, it just uh, was more of an irritation than anything to me. And I anticipate, you know, since I'm in the privacy business, <laughs> it was probably a bigger irritation for those outside of the privacy business, right? Exactly. It irritated everyone and it had a very bad result, which means that some companies would just have to wipe up the, um, their database. 
because people were getting so many emails that they would not respond. They did not respond. That means that they did not have the consent of their uh, these people. So they should be just uh, wiped out the database. And how many actually did that, do you think? I, I bet most of them who sent those didn't even think about removing the people that did not reply. I bet they're still out there in the database. So that kind of creates more liability for them, doesn't it? Exactly. If, if one data subject does a request of which data do you hold about me, and the answer is we hold this and this, well, then they are in breach of data protection. We haven't wow. seen the case coming up yet, but it's a, the French expression is holding a hot potato. Holding a hot potato? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if an organization is holding a personal data that they don't have any ground of holding or, in other words, processing, they are in breach. So mm. at any time, they can be in trouble. So they'll burn their they'll burn their organization or their business with their hot potato that they didn't uh, address appropriately. Then they still have a hold of, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, what changes do you uh, anticipate in GDPR in 2019, if any? Uh, we're waiting what the data protection authorities are going to do. Um. Your listener might have heard about this major breach of the Marriott Hotel. Mm, yes. Uh, Marriott acquired uh, Star Alliance, I think, from memory, in 2014. Um, recently, they discovered that there has a breach going on for f- several years. Uh, there are client data, passport data, um, ID data that has been breached. I think from their last uh, announcement, these passwords were not encrypted. Um, that is a major data breach. Mm-hmm. It's probably what would justify the 4% uh, global turnover fine. Whoa. Uh, that's from the data protection authorities, but they are also mm-hmm. class action. I read somewhere that there is already a class action in the U.S. How are they going to survive that? I am waiting to see. I'm hoping that would be a call for other organizations to be more careful. One of the principles of GDPR that I really like, and I think everyone should follow, is data minimization. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, this expression of hot potato, every data that is collected creates liability. So don't hold it if you don't need it. Don't hold it if it's not accurate. Delete it. If you don't do that, you're in trouble. And trouble can be as big as 4% annual um, global turnover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that could be very painful to any business. Um, well, what do you see then? That sounds like it's leading to more enforcement, too. It sounds like maybe the Marriott case uh, might be leading to maybe a new trend in enforcement of GDPR, or I think it would be helpful for our listeners to understand about enforcement. Is this something that every EU country um, has their own enforcement agencies that 
that address GDPR enforcement, or I've had some of my listeners say, well, isn't this all done through one centralized organization? Maybe you could answer that for our listeners who wonder about this. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, GDPR aim is better harmonization. Every country got its own data protection authority, but they are expected to work in collaboration. They have worked in collaboration uh, when they were investigating um, uh, Uber or Facebook. Um, There is a European Data Protection Board that is a supervisor of harmonization and enforcement of the GDPR. So they are looking to help data protection authorities to collaborate together. the enforcement would be applied by one uh, data protection authority normally. There is also the principle of the one-stop shop, mm-hmm. where each country would have one representative in one country, which would be in direct relationship with that data protection authorities. But then, this data protection authority would work in collaboration with other data protection authorities countries where this organization would have activities in. For example... Uh, to be clear, if I want to complain about one organization that is actually holding my data in France, because I live in the UK, I can just go to the UK Information Commissioner, do my complaint, and it would be up to the UK Information Commissioner to discuss with the French Data Protection Authority, the CNIL, mm-hmm. who would investigate that the organization. So that w- yeah, so that way you didn't wouldn't have to go to every different country. Where exactly. you, okay. Well, you know, go ahead. Uh, maybe I, I mention one more thing is that for non-EU organization, they are required to have a representative in one EU country. It's a country of their choice. Maybe because of language or maybe because business is easier in the UK, many foreign organizations had their representative in the UK. Well, with Brexit, this is going to be an uncertainty mm. because UK is going out of the EU. So it actually might be that UK company will have to have a representation in another EU country. Interesting. So that could really create um, a big change for what organizations might have already spent last year putting into place then, right? It could be. It, it's still speculation. We are hoping there would be a kind of deal adequacy or something. Otherwise, it's going to be a big mess. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's definitely something then to keep our eye on, right? Exactly. There is also the case of uh, binding corporate rules for um, non-adequate countries' dealing with EU um, data, they have signed uh, binding corporate rules with the UK Information Commissioner, but the UK Information Commissioner would not be an EU member anymore. So I'm hoping probably they will kind of find a way of regularizing these. Otherwise, they will have to go back to another data protection authority and start over again. Oh, my. Well, I know a lot of organizations would hate to have to do that, wouldn't they, after all the the time and uh, effort they put into just getting to the point where they're at now. 
Yeah, it sounds a little bit difficult for me to justify, but strict consensus, that's what should happen. Before we get too much further uh, towards the end of our show, I want to talk a little bit about Data Privacy Day, since you are our 2018 privacy hero. You know, why does privacy still matter? I think that's something that, of course, I believe strongly in it, and I know you believe strongly in it, and so many others do, but I still have people who say, Privacy doesn't matter anymore. So what's your take on this? Why does privacy matter today? It, it hurts when I hear privacy doesn't matter, get over it. I am a strong believer like you are. I think privacy is a fundamental human right. It, it's very important. This is what gives us our dignity as a human being. To the one who tells me privacy doesn't matter, um, I ask them why they're wearing clothes, why mm-hmm. they are having curtains, why they close doors sometimes. Why do you, when you go to the loo, why do you close the door? Leave everything <laughs> open. Why do you have to hide? Well, this is part of our identity, to have our secret times. To, but it doesn't mean it's secret, but it's just having intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's very important. And... To every data collector, I remind them that they are in turns a data subject. Mm -hmm. So don't do to others what you don't want others to do to you. It's a simple thing my grandma used to tell me. And I invite everyone to follow some of my my privacy heroes, which one of them is actually was uh, one of the people you had elected as a privacy hero is Daniel Solov. It's Mm -hmm. he is the great. Uh, American scholar that I've been following for many years. He's been my inspirator. I'm not sure if it's an English word, but he had given me the inspiration on studying privacy and data protection. And he has Mm -hmm. a great paper on nothing to hide argument. Oh, yes, yes. And a book, too, on that, right? I mean, um, he's got many great books on that. It was an essay first, and then he published a book. He's got a series of video. If people don't like read books or essay, he's got really good YouTube videos accessible to everyone. Another scholar that I recommend is Victor Meyer Schoenberg. He's Austrian and his book, Delete or The Virtue of Forgetting, exposes how the Stasi police would have done so much worse had the access to the Google that we have today. Um, These two people, I think, are great inspiration for whoever is still doubting about the value of privacy. What do you think is the biggest misconception when it comes to privacy? Um, I think a lot of times when I hear people talk about Um, doing away with privacy or infringing upon privacy for safety reasons or saying that safety is more important that that's another path I kind of go down when I start thinking about this but from your perspective what do you think is a big misconception when people think of privacy beyond what you've you know already uh, described so well it's maybe people confuse privacy and secrecy 
mm-hmm. what I find is very difficult in the job we do is people think we are paranoia. Mm-hmm. I don't think at all it's like that. I'm quite an open person. I'm, I'm present in many social media. I like to exchange. I've made great people in social media. Um, but I, I try to be able to control what I'm doing, which is not easy at all. I don't think I've been able to do it because there's so much that is happening behind the skin that I can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a, um, privacy is not a, a, an absolute right. It's a fundamental human right, but it's not absolute. It has to be balanced has to be balanced with security. Sometimes there are tensions between the two. Sometimes they work together. A good privacy and data protection should help a good security. Uh, sometimes security people would like to have access to everything so that they, they think they could offer 100% security. But all this has to be balanced. And there is what we call in EU a principle of balance of proportionality. If you process data, it has to balance the right and freedom of the data subject. And people sometimes have a bad conception of privacy because they think it's just secrecy, it's closing all doors. No, it's having a curtain. You open it or you close it. It's having a door. You close it or you open it, but it's your door and your curtain. You're controlling it, right? Exactly. Transparency plus control is my equation for privacy. So what are some of the activities that you have planned for Data Privacy Day on January 28th? And what would you suggest to our listeners? Well, like always, I try to raise awareness. I try to make some buzz around privacy and data protection. Hopefully, little by little, everyone would wake up. So this year, we will have a Twitter chat. Mm. where we will invite a lot of uh, people involved on PBC and data protection to exchange ideas. I have invited quite a few privacy experts um, to write a piece about their approach and their experience of privacy and data protection. I'm hoping that Sonia Livingston, who has been very active on uh, online safety and children online, she will also participate and there are others. Um, I've called for sponsors to have a real-life gathering of privacy-interested people in London. So whoever is in London, contact me, and we would love to have uh, you with us. We are setting up, hopefully, a website with some resources on privacy and data protection. As you might know, I use an um, online tool called Pertrees, in which I gather uh, URL and information on different subjects. So I have created one dedicated for the Privacy Day. Mm. So that also will be online available. So if uh, your listener wants to follow me, I have been using the pseudonym of Clarinet02 on Twitter so they can follow me and see what's going on for the Privacy and Data Protection and general awareness on privacy um, but also internet security. Um, in general, um, digital rights, they can follow me on Twitter at clarinet02. Great. And of course, on Facebook, if they want to hear more about privacy as it relates uh, often to children and cyberbullying. And, and cyberbullying, exactly. Yeah, we can, uh, they can follow on our Fly a Kite group. So I know you, you put a lot of great information out there, and I'd 
try to put information out there too. And that's that group's really uh, been increasing quite a bit over the past few months. So I think it's a topic that people are concerned with. Yeah, we're trying to be informative, you know, inform people of data breach. Or one point that we haven't mentioned, um, because it's around Christmas and a lot of presents are coming, there are two kind of presents I would suggest that your listener would be careful with. One is the DNA, mm. um, sharing your personal data and DNA you have um, talked about and written about, so I invite everyone to look at what you've done, which is great. I think people should be careful with these. The other thing is um, IoT. Mm-hmm. Any of these uh, smart devices that we bring to our home um, can cause privacy and data protection issues. Um, often they don't come with a password. So I have written about um, surveillance cameras and baby monitoring that people can buy, thinking that it keeps their children safe, but actually without a password, they broadcast live online. There's been a recent case of a family who had a had a message from someone looking from their uh, baby monitoring. Every IoT is a cool and fun gadget, but my advice is put it in the balance. Does it worth the risk? Do you actually Mm -hmm. need it? How can you use it in the safest way? Right. So what would be the one primary point you want listeners to take away from listening to the show today? I would hope anyone who thinks privacy doesn't matter, they could go and read and ask questions. I'm happy to answer any question, anyone who wants to come to me. I'm hoping anyone who would read more, would know more, would be more privacy and data protection aware and interested. I have one example of one of my U.S. professor contact, actually, who at the beginning was, what is that privacy? You're wasting your time with that. Mm-hmm. I showed him more, and he's actually now teaching privacy and data protection. <laughs> <laughs> you can, yes, well, great. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. We're getting to the end of our time here today, Tara, but thank you so much for being my guest today. It was my great pleasure to be with you. I hope my accent wasn't too difficult for your listeners. Um, But it was a great pleasure to be with you and always raising awareness on privacy. Thank you so much. So today I've been speaking with Tara Taubman-Bassirian, privacy lawyer and our 2018 Privacy Hero of the Year. So for my listeners, do you have a topic to suggest that I cover or a guest to suggest? Um, Just let me know. You can contact me with questions, comments, and provide me with your show topic ideas using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Please tune into the show each week. And if you cannot make our schedule live time, you will always be able to listen to the recording soon after the first um, issue of 
each show has been played. You can find recordings of all my past shows on iTunes, Mobile Play, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, Player FM, and of course, go to the voiceamerica.com business channel website. And if you need help with security, privacy, or compliance keynotes, or an expert witness, just get in touch. I invite you to um, always just get in touch if there's anything you need. I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work, or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and who you work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.